Hello, shalom, everybody. Oh, better than that. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Oh, there we go. Welcome to God of Miracles. We are kicking off a special series of Spring of Liquid Church. Uh, if you're new, I'm Rabbi Tim. Uh, and I uh, want to welcome you. So glad that you're with us. Uh, for the next seven weeks, I'm going to be kind of serving as your tour guide as we journey through the Holy Land. We're going to be walking in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we dive in today, let's welcome all our campuses joining us on the big screen. What's up, guys? Great to see you guys all. Hey, what's up? Facebook Live, Church Online. Um, last week, I gave a little intro to this series and explained how we're going on a pilgrimage, which is a, a long journey typically to a sacred site that is motivated by spiritual devotion. And so for the next seven Sundays leading up to Easter, I'm going to lead us on a tour of Israel to these sacred sites and locations that were so important to the life of Jesus. Um, for instance, today we're going to go on a little hike down to the Dead Sea uh, and the Jordan River. It's actually quite beautiful where the ministry of Jesus really begins. We're going to walk all the way from Galilee in the north and end up in the south, the holy city of Jerusalem, uh, where he was hailed as a hero on Palm Sunday crucified as a criminal just a week later. And then on Easter, we arrive at the garden tomb to celebrate Jesus' resurrection and his victory over Satan, sin, and death. Amen? So every Sunday, I'm going to teach you about the, the life of Jesus from the Gospels, show you these sites, their spiritual significance. Then during the week of the small groups, you're going to actually study seven of Jesus' major miracles that took place in his ministry. So week by week, we'll go miracle by miracle. So, you know, turning water into wine, healing the sick, feeding 5,000, uh, walking on water. So you need to be in a small group to really get the most out of this series. Um, we're a church of small groups. That means we come here, yeah, hundreds, thousands of people on Sunday, but then eight or ten of them get together in homes and coffee house shops during the week to open the Bible, uh, to dig deeper, to pray, care for each other. Uh, and last week I said, hey, join a small group if you're not anyone. Well, I got good news. Last Sunday we had 692 new people join a small group. So let's hear it for a great job, small group leaders. You guys are rock stars. <clears throat> We now have 2,500 people in small groups all over the state. That's really how you make friends and experience a community in a church like this. Um, and if you're like aren't in a small group, it's not too late. You can still jump on board, okay? Just talk to one of your campus leaders after today's service. They will hook you up. They'll find a, a group of your age and stage or wherever you live, and, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. All right. Well, now today, we're going to take uh, kind of a, a hiking tour. I hope you got your hiking boots on. We're going to hike down through the desert. That is the Judean desert in Israel. And I'm going to take you to three spectacular locations. Uh, first, I want to take you to the lowest point on the planet. It's called the Dead Sea. Uh, it is a beautiful desert lake known for its salty water and its magical miracle mud. Then I'm going to take you to the caves at Qumran, uh, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually dis discovered. Qumran is the site of an ancient uh, monastic community who had a famous member. And then we're going to end up at the Jordan River where Jesus himself was baptized and began his public ministry. So what we're doing in this series is we're linking three things. We're taking geography, we're taking history, we're taking archaeology to paint this complete portrait of Jesus. Because reading the Bible really is one thing, but when you walk in the land of the Bible, it really colors it in. So when we look at like the archaeological discoveries, you're going to see biblical connections, even today, I guarantee you, that you've never seen before in the Bible. And so we're kind of, it's almost like a mosaic 
of Jesus. I want you to think of it like a puzzle. Each week we're going piece by piece until we see the full face of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the God of miracles. Amen? You guys ready? Rabbis say, follow me. Let's go. All right. You're going to open up your Bible to the Gospel of Mark. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's four Gospels or eyewitness accounts about Jesus. The reason I'm going to kind of base this in Mark is it's actually the oldest Gospel. Uh, it is also the shortest one, but it contains the most miracles. And what's cool about Mark is it goes in chronological order. So the stories are actually the order in which they actually occurred in Jesus' life. And so today I want to introduce you, the story of Jesus begins, actually not with Jesus, but with his cousin, a guy named John the Baptist. Um, all four Gospels include the story of Johnny B. And uh, he was six years, or six months, I should say, older than his cousin Jesus. But he, his job was so important. He prepared the way for the arrival of the Messiah, or the Savior of Israel that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the story of Jesus and John the Baptist are intricately linked. They are woven together. So let's read from Mark chapter 1. It says this, the beginning of the good news, or gospel, that's what gospel means, about Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, so they're going to start by quoting the Old Testament, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness or desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to meet him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in where? What's it say, church? The Jordan River. Now today I'm going to show you the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. Actually, I had a chance to baptize some pilgrims myself there in January. It's very cool. But the Jordan River flows right into the Dead Sea, which is the reason, or the region, I should say, that John was from. John the Baptist is kind of a weird dude. Let's just be honest, okay? The guy actually lived out in the desert, like the wasteland. And verse 6 describes him this way. Look at this. Look at his odd clothing choices. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate what? Locusts and wild honey. So it's kind of a keto vegan weirdness going on here. I don't even really know what that is. But uh, bugs and honey, it says this was his message. This is what he said. Oh, no, it's not about me. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I, John, I'm going to baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with who? With the Holy Spirit. Now, there are all sorts of clues in this passage. Now, let's be honest, you just kind of typically read right over them, but today I'm going to help you connect these dots, mosaic, piece by piece in a fascinating way. Uh, who is this guy? Who is this wild man, this desert preacher, John the Baptist, wearing a camel's coat and eating bugs and, and honey, you know? Well, to answer that, you can't start at the Jordan River. We got to hike down, 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 down to the Dead Sea, the lowest point on planet Earth. So let's go on a little trip, church. Let's spin the globe and we're going to fly over South America, we're going to go over Africa, and we're going to land right here in South Central L.A. No. 
South Central Israel. This is the Dead Sea, actually, right smack dab there in South Central Israel, uh, surrounded here by Jordan and the West Bank. But this is an entirely desert region. It's the lowest pl point on planet Earth. It's 1,300 feet below sea level. And uh, although it's harsh and barren, it is strangely beautiful and otherworldly. In fact, Colleen and I drove from Jerusalem out into the desert to go see it. And it almost looks like Mars, kind of like you're entering another planet. And in the middle of this barren wasteland appears this like oasis. It's like a, a desert jewel. But if you get close, you'll notice it's actually crusted over with salt crystals in parts of it. And that's because the Dead Sea was formed with two tectonic plates, basically the African Arabian plates pulled apart. So it's this rip in the hide of the earth. And it released all this salt and, and rich minerals, calcium, iodine, and into the water. It's poison water. You actually you can't drink it. You get sick. But you can swim in it. No, that's not accurate. Let me rephrase it. You can float in it. See, because of the high salt content, your body doesn't sink. It just floats. You literally, your feet, look, look, mom, no hands, okay? Now, I want to show you a picture of this guy because I, I did go in, but I had my shirt off. And I didn't want to cause you to stumble. <laughs> You're welcome, okay? It, it's such a strange sen sensation. It's like leaning back in jello, like whoop. It's, it, it, you actually can't actually swim. And uh, it's, that's because it's hypersalinated. It just means it has nine times the salt content of the ocean. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Nothing can live there. And people come from all over the world to, to float in it, but not just float. They come for the magic mud. They take the mud off the bottom and smear it all over their skin, their body, their face, give them a facial. Why? Because it has therapeutic value. It has medical properties. The mud is so full of minerals and nutrients that it actually cures arthritis, skin conditions like eczema. Uh, it's amazing, all around us, people were you know, putting on these mud masks. It's like a day at the spa, you know? It's like everyone's got a facial. I'm like, let's do it. And you sit in the sun, and it kind of hardens and bakes, and then you rinse off, and your, your skin feels like as smooth as a baby's bottom. Just don't get it in your eyes, because it will burn them out. <laughs> now, the Bible mentions the Dead Sea multiple times because it's fed by the Jordan River, where John baptized Jesus. Take a look. So up here in the north, that's the Sea of Galilee. We're going to get there in a, in a week or so. But if you track this little crack through the land, this is the Jordan River. So it flows from the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River goes all the way from the north down the south to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is literally a dead end. It's where the Jordan ends. And it's also the location for the most important archaeological discovery of your lifetime. In 1947, right on the banks of the Dead Sea, sets of ancient Bible scrolls were discovered, hidden in caves. Anybody know what these scrolls were called? The Dead Sea? Look at you scholars. Come on, you're on this, man. It's the oldest copy of the Old Testament in existence. They were hidden in the caves of Qumran, surrounding the Dead Sea for thousands of years. They're 2,000 years old. They're 200 years even before Christ was born. So we took a hike up into the hills to visit the caves of Qumran where parts of your Bible were discovered. Check this out.
Hey guys, I'm here at the Dead Sea in Israel. I'm actually at the Qumran Caves. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered here. Take a look, you see that cave right behind me? There was a young Bedouin shepherd who was grazing his flocks and basically threw a rock and heard a shattering noise. Went inside, it was ceramic pottery that shattered, containing thousands and thousands of Old Testament scrolls. In fact, they found one scroll of the book of Isaiah over a thousand years older than any existing copies. If you look forward, all these different hills will pan them a little bit for you. You'll see there's a series of seven to eight different caves that contained these Old Testament writings. What's incredible about that is that it lets us know that at the time uh, of Jesus, there was a group named the Essenes. They were desert monks, basically withdrew from Jerusalem, and they were writing copies of the Old Testament books. These hills are crying out about the power of God. Now, what's cool about the Dead Sea Scrolls is they're called the greatest manuscript discovery of the 21st century. They're written 2,000 years and, uh, ago and are by far the oldest copies of the Old Testament that we have. In fact, they include a copy of every book of the Old Testament except for Esther. And my, my, my wife and I, we had the chance to actually view some of the, the scrolls up close. Let me kind of show you what they look like. They're made out of papyrus and animal skin. They're written in Hebrew right to left, no punctuation. And we saw the Isaiah scroll, which is virtually completely intact, which is significant for us. It contains the most dramatic messianic prophecies. In other words, predictions about the arrival of Jesus. And it is a thousand years older than any previously known copy. And guys, these were discovered in 1947, some of your lifetime, completely by chance. Two Bedouin shepherds are out there. They're basically like Muslim gypsies. And one of them lost their goats, and they were hiking in the hills surrounding the Dead Sea. And, and as they searched for that goat, they actually threw a rock into this cave right here and heard, Psh, and it shattered pottery went in. They said, oh, it's just old scrolls. <laughs> and, they brought, yeah. and they brought them home. They went back. They're kind of cool, got more, and they took them to Jerusalem where they sold them for $93. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Worth about $750 million today. <laughs> actually, they're priceless. All told, archaeologists discovered within 11 caves over 800 Bible scrolls. But where did they come from? Like, who actually wrote these things? Well, the answer is a community of Jewish monks living in Qumran. Can you say that? Qumran, yeah. They, they, they were part of a Jewish sect called the Essenes, and they were scribes. Their job was to hand copy the Bible as they waited for the Messiah to arrive. So in those days, no Xerox machines, right? None of that. No cut and click and paste. These were guys who, who believed the priests in Jerusalem were corrupt, so they went to live in the desert as monks, and they said, we're going to be devoted to God, we're going to be committed to celibacy, and all day we're going to pray and copy the Old Testament by hand. Now, Qumran is an active archaeological site. You can see it behind me. As we walked around, we actually saw the copying room where these guys sat and copied the Hebrew Bible word for word. But we saw something else that was so strange. Qumran has dozens of these giant hot tubs or bathing tanks that look like this. Kind of looks like a jacuzzi a little bit, doesn't it? Dozens and dozens of them. They're called mikvahs. They're basically baptismals. And every day, in addition to copying the Old Testament, the monks would go and baptize themselves in the jacuzzi five times a day so they were ritually pure. Basically, they would walk down this set of steps and say, I'm unclean, baptize themselves, and walk up this set of steps, and they'd say, I am now clean and born again. 
So it wasn't just getting dirt off your body. It was a way of showing, I want to be spiritually clean before God. And guys, this is the precursor to Christian baptism. Rick, if you've ever been baptized, I wonder, like, where does it come from? This is the ancient origin. But these Essenes took baptism to the extreme. They would do it five times a day. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think a little bit about what famous Bible character may have lived here in the desert baptizing himself up to five times a day. You're starting to connect the dots? We asked our guide, hey, how did these guys support themselves? Like, if your job is like, I'm just copying the Bible all day, how'd they make a living? And our Jewish guide, Menachem, said, well, the men lived at Qumran. They were famous for making wild honey from the surrounding date palm trees. It was their specialty, this, this sweet syrup that helped people survive in the desert. Are you connecting the dots? I just gave you two big clues. They're all about baptizing, subsisted on honey. Anybody want to guess who lived here at Qumran? Yeah, let's read, read Mark 1. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, not like North American wilderness, like green trees and stuff, like the desert, preaching a baptism of repentance. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair and ate locusts and what? Most scholars speculate that John the Baptist lived right here in Qumran and was part of the Essenes, the monastic community who perfected baptism and actually hand-copied the Dead Sea Scrolls. At Qumran, John would have spent his 20s learning this form of baptism, memorizing scriptures that said, repent, because the Messiah is coming, and learned how to survive in the desert on a diet of wild honey. Pretty cool, right? Because when he appears, guys, you got to understand, John the Baptist is Israel's first prophet in 400 years. When the Old Testament ended, there are 400 years of silence. God basically hangs up the phone. All the prophets are gone. But in the last verse of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Old Testament, there's a promise made that one day God's going to send a new prophet, a new Elijah. Remember the guy who called fire from heaven? He says, I'm going to send a new fire caller, a new prophet, a new Elijah to preach and prophesy before the Messiah arrives. Again, here's some Bible clues you and I read over and don't fully grasp. It says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with what around his waist? A leather belt. Most people are like, yeah, kind of a weird fashion choice, <laughs> but whatever. Why did he wear these clothes? Well, if you go back 2,000 years, Dead Sea Scrolls, or 2 Kings chapter 1, here's how the prophet Elijah was described. Elijah had a garment of hair and a what? leather belt around his waist. Basically, John the Baptist explodes on the scene saying, I am the spiritual successor to Elijah. When he leaves Qumran, he begins his public ministry. He says, my job is I'm here to prepare the way for the Messiah, my cousin Jesus. And y'all better get baptized because he's about to come and he's hot. <laughs> John saw himself as the prophet predicted in Isaiah. He said, I'm a, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. In fact, it's possible John hand copied that verse by hand in the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran. At the age of 30, he launched his public ministry in the Judean desert surrounding the Dead Sea. And it says, John the Baptist appeared in the desert preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And look at this. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem in the city, they flooded out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him where? In the... Guys, that's how John became John 
the Baptist. Isn't that cool? See, again, the Bible isn't a book of made-up myths or legends. It's archaeology and history and geology all coming together to proclaim the truth of God's Word. The Bible is actually archaeological. John the Baptist is historical, and so is his cousin, Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people miss this. These guys are related. John and Jesus were cousins. They were, only, they were born six months apart, and their mothers were besties. Mary and Elizabeth, they actually spent their pregnancy together, and they were like extended family, and it's most likely that Jesus and John actually spent their childhood growing up together like boys, hiking in the hills, you know, skipping stones across the Dead Sea, memorizing the Torah, all the stuff Hebrew boys did growing up. And here's what we know. Every year, Jesus and John, their family spent a week together as they reunited in Jerusalem for Passover. So they were close cousins, and these two men knew two things. One, they knew their Old Testament. And two, they knew they each had a special role to play in creating a New Testament. John believed in his heart of heart that his cousin Jesus was the prophesied Messiah, that the Savior who would usher in God's kingdom on earth. And he said, my job is to be his hype man. I'm going to prepare the way for Jesus. And so you all better get baptized. And he baptized people by the hundreds to make them clean and ready for Messiah's arrival. In fact, John and Jesus were actually aware of each other's ministry and they had a similar message. Here it was. Repent! Because the kingdom of God is coming. They worked hand in hand. Before there were any disciples, they were a dynamic duo of preaching machines and they actually loved and respected each other. Listen to what Jesus said of his cousin Johnny. Jesus said, I, I tell you the truth. Of all people who've ever lived... None is greater than John the Baptist. How's that for a book endorsement? <laughs> John didn't let it go to his head, though. He, he knew his role was to prepare the way for Jesus, and so he famously said, no, 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 I must decrease, he must what? Increase. In verse 7 of Mark 1, John said, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. Translation, I, I can't even hold Jesus' Jordans. <laughs> he, he's not just my cousin. He's the sinless son of God, sent to take away the sins of the whole world. And John's preaching was effective. People were drawn to his message of life change. Scripture says the whole Judean countryside went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. How many of you here have been to the Jordan River? Been there in person? You got to show up? Wow, okay. Oh, about five people. Okay. All right. let me, so let me take you there. I'm going to save you some money. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> Jordan River, 156 miles long, flows from the Sea of Galilee, like I said, in the north, down to the Dead Sea in the south. And this is critical because um, so many countries rely on it. Israel, Jordan, Syria, all rely on it for irrigation. Jordan, the nation, is named after the Jordan, the West Bank. That has to do with the Jordan. And when Colleen and I went there in January, it was amazing to just put on a white robe and go walking and wading into the Jordan River for a baptism service. Because pilgrims from all over the world, every nation on earth, come here to be baptized in its green waters like Jesus was. Uh, I was blessed to accompany a wonderful church from Miami and help uh, the pastor there baptize his congregation. And then he said, can you baptize me? This is so much fun. Check this out. All right. Oh, All right, exciting church. Are you ready to see your lead shepherd? Oh, yeah. 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 Amen. 
Matthew says that Jesus went down from Galilee to the Jordan River where he was baptized. And the Bible says when he was baptized, heaven opened and there was a voice that said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Lennox Zamora, you are a servant of the Most High God. It is my privilege as your brother in Christ to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I tell you, when you stand in the land of Israel, when you walk and you wade in its water, the Bible comes to life and you see the truths of Scripture leap from the pages. Let me tell you something. Standing there, the one thing I noticed is that the water in the Jordan flows south. Where does it flow to, class? You know the answer. It flows into the Dead Sea. Do you see the symbolism? Your sins are being washed away to the Dead Sea where nothing lives. All of your guilt, all of your shame, all of it, it's dead and gone, and in Jesus' name, we'll never see the light of day as long as you live. Do you remember what John learned baptizing people in the mikvahs at Qumran? When they went down in the water, they were unclean. They came out, they were spiritually clean. And that's what they did in the first century. If you wanted to convert to Judaism, you would go down into the water to drown to the person you'd been. And when you came out, you were born again as a child of God. That's the precursor to Christian baptism. John said, repent, and people responded. Says he appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of what? What's that word? Of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So it was an expression of their desire to repent. Now, what does that mean? The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And technically, it means to change one's mind, but it goes deeper than that. It's to change your mind in such a way that it actually changes your heart. And because your heart changes, it changes your values, and it leads to this wholesale radical change of your whole life. John baptized people whose lives needed to change. Can I ask, where does, where does your life need to change? We're in the season of Lent. Where do you know that's kind of out of line? with what God wants. He baptized people who were desperate for God's forgiveness and grace. He baptized tax collectors and, and Jewish traders and prostitutes, the sexually broken, soldiers who exploited the poor. Mark says this, the whole Judean countryside went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, I realize that word sin carries a lot of baggage today. But in the Greek, it's actually a lot simpler. The word is hamartia, it just means to miss the mark, you fell a little bit short, or to stray from the path. You're supposed to go this way, but you went this way. Now notice what miss the mark means. It means there is a mark. In other words, God has an ideal that we're all meant to live by. But what happens? Our selfishness, our sin, cause us to stray from God's path, and we go our own way. It didn't start with you. It started with your mom and your dad in the garden. Your heavenly father and mother, your earthly father and mother, I should say, Adam and Eve, right? They taste the forbidden fruit. It breaks their relationship with God. And so what's God do? He sends prophets to call the human race, repent, come back to the path before it's too late, before the wrath of God gets poured out on sin and wickedness. You got to change your mind. You got to repent. In other words, admit the way I'm living is destructive, you got to change your heart. you got to believe that God is actually for you, not against you. He's not mad at you. He's forgiving and merciful. 
And then you got to let his love change your life. That's repentance. It's, it's believing that no matter what I've done, God will give me a second chance. If I confess my sin, he'll wash them away into the Dead Sea and give me a fresh start. Do you know what that's like for people who have messed up royally in life? You know what that sounds like? That is not just good news. That's like the best news in the world. I get it. For some of us, like I've been in church most of my life and stuff, and like, you know, I don't have any like major explosive things like in my skeletons in my closet, but, but maybe you do. Let me tell you, to people who live in a world of brokenness, what that news is like. I will never forget, a few years ago, we had just started the church, and I was preaching about God's grace, about his radical love, that his grace is greater than your most vile sin. And I remember that invited people to come forward, and this girl came to, she's in her 20s, and she comes forward, and she's trembling. She's crying, her lips quivering, the chin's, and she can't even speak. I said, what, what brings you up here? And she just goes, I've, I just... I have so much I have to confess. And I say, what? She goes, oh, I just, she reaches into her jacket and pulls out a Ziploc bag, a big freezer bag, like Ziploc, and it's full of pills, of drugs, and pot. And I said, that's a lot of, lot of drugs right there. <laughs> it's a whole Ziploc bag. And she goes, no, see, Tim, this is my God. And I said, so you want to repent? You don't want to use that anymore? She said, no, that's not my sin. I deal it. I don't just use it, I deal it. And she said, can God forgive me of that? And I said, in the name of Jesus, God has forgiven you. And she dropped that bag of pills right on the altar, and she just wept. And she gave her life to Christ. And, and I'll just be honest, I was a young rookie pastor. I didn't know what to do with the bag. <laughs> like, I picked it up. I was like, you know, I don't want to just throw it in the garbage. Like, kids could get it, and like, we don't have an incinerator at church. So, so... I just put it in my backpack. <laughs> I was like, I'll deal with it Monday when I get to the office, you know, kind of thing. Of course, I get to the office and like, oh, meetings and email. I forget all about it. I carried that bag of pot and pills for an entire week in my backpack. <laughs> Can you imagine if I got pulled over? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, now I see why he's so hopped up on Sundays right there. <laughs> That's repentance. It's this change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that changes your life. And guys, we need John's message of repentance. Our whole world is missing the mark of God's ideal, of purity, of humility, of faithfulness. We all need to repent, me included. That's why I'm talking about this during Lent. On Wednesdays, many Christians right, put ashes on their foreheads. That's a sign of repentance. Acknowledge I have strayed from God's path. I gotta turn back to him. So here's my question. If baptism is for people who've messed up royally, then why did Jesus get baptized? I mean, he's sinless. Mark says at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in the north in Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan down the south. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. John is baptizing all these sinners in the Jordan, and then he looks up and he says, oh, it's Jesus. And he looks, he's just like, he like lets the person go. He's just like, what's up, cuz? Right? Jesus comes up. They're probably like bro hugged, you know, like a little bit of this. Hey, what's up? What's up? Remember, Jesus is, <laughs> but it's in Hebrew, okay? So, 
Jesus is 30 years old, and so is John. In fact, John's only six, you know, six years, months older. And John's like, what brings you here, bro? And Jesus takes off his sandals. He's like, what are you doing? And then Jesus waves in the water. He's like, I'm here to get baptized. And John's like, no, no, whoa, 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 whoa. This is for, like, sin and repentance. Matthew reports, look at this. But John tried to talk Jesus out of it. <laughs> I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this to what? Fulfill all righteousness. We're going we're gonna, to, that gap between the mark of God and where we're living, I got to fill that in. And so John agreed to baptize him. But still doesn't make sense. Why does John baptize the sinless one? Why does Jesus get baptized? And here's a simple answer, guys. By being baptized, Jesus was identifying with you. And with me, Jesus didn't step into the Jordan out of his need, but for yours. By wading into those waters of repentance, he was identifying with all of sinful humanity. So understand, Jesus went into the water with us and for us, to represent us on behalf of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and preachers and addicts and adulterers and gossips. And Am I missing anybody here? And I want you to think, I just was struck this week. I felt like God saying, Tim, can you even imagine the humility that took? He didn't have to get baptized, but he said, I'm going to go in and I'm going to represent the sin of everyone to come. Notice when Jesus got into the water, he didn't get out, he didn't get in and, then say, and say, hey, by the way, to all the people watching, just to be clear, this isn't for me. <laughs> this is for all you sinners out there, okay? <laughs> he does have complete in humble, perfect love. It's funny, at Liquid, we have support groups for people who have addictions like pornography and that sort of thing. I want you to imagine for a minute that you have a friend who maybe, you know, has a sexual addiction, and you know they need a support group to find not just forgiveness, but freedom, but they're too scared to go alone. Here's my question for you. Would you be willing to go to the group with them and sit next to them in that sexual addiction group? and not say anything, and let everybody assume what they're going to assume? Or would you worry about what others might think when they saw you going in that room? Would you sit down, and when they went around, would you be like, oh, just to clarify, I'm here for my friend, okay? <laughs> just, this, this isn't for me, okay? I'm just, I don't have an addiction. I'm here to support her, okay? Or would you have the depth of love and humility to personally identify with your friend and bear all their guilt and all their shame and just hoping and praying because you were with them, they might find God's freedom and forgiveness. In essence, that's what Jesus did when he was baptized. He identified with sinners like me and you, and he joined us in the water. He said, everyone who follows me, I want you to take the plunge too. Let me tell you, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, it was a powerful experience. Listen to how Mark describes it. He says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased, Jesus. Guys, here at the Jordan, we get our first glimpse in scripture 
of the full face of God. What Christians eventually came to call the Trinity. Trinity just means one God in three persons. The Father speaks, the Son is baptized, and the Spirit descends from heaven. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why we baptize the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of your God, the Holy Trinity, working together to bring salvation into the world. Now, when I was standing in the Jordan, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I want to ask you, what would that be like for you? Can you imagine if you actually heard your heavenly Father, the God who created you, say, this is my son Joe, who I love. My boy, I'm so proud of you. This is my daughter, Tammy. She is a source of delight to me. You bring me such pleasure, my girl. And he opens up the heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of John's prophecy. Remember what John the Baptist told people? He said, I, John, I'm going to baptize you with what? Water. But he, Jesus, my cousin, will baptize you with who? The Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you? Why do we have like baptism pictures all over the place, you know, in this church and people like coming up, they're like, yeah, like that, you know, because there is some, when people get baptized, they will tell you how powerfully sometimes they sense the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit because they're smack dab in the center of God's will for their life. The father said, I want you to do it. Jesus says, I'm going to do it. And I want you to do it as well. And then the Holy Spirit, let me tell you something. When I was in January in the Jordan, I got to see the Holy Spirit up close. I want to show you my favorite baptism. Uh, I helped this, this church, um, and one woman, a uh, beautiful multicultural church, there's this one woman who was in her 70s. So she's kind of like a grandma, and I see her, and she's putting on a shower cap because she, like, doesn't want to get her dew wet, and all, you know, it's all, it awesome. And she's coming down the stairs, and she's a little shaky, so I'm like, okay, you know, oh, boy, I hope we don't lose her, you know? I'm, like, helping her down and everything. <laughs> Let me tell you, being in her 70s did not stop this sister from experiencing the Holy Spirit. Enjoy this. I baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Holy Spirit still moves today. He's alive. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to get electrocuted, man. <laughs> I'm just telling you, if you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, repent. You need to do it today. You need to give your whole life to God and say, cleanse me of my sin. Receive the Holy Spirit and he'll do it. For Jesus, this was his defining moment, guys. When he stepped into that Jordan River, he identified with your sin. When he went to that cross, he laid down his life to pay for it. All the judgment, all the wrath of God went on to Jesus. Guess what's left for you? Words of love and affection. This is my son, my daughter. I am so pleased with you. I love you. And he fills you with the Spirit's power. Can I just say as your pastor, I want that for you. I want that for you. 
If you haven't, I want you to be baptized. I want you to be washed clean. I want you to know the Father's pleasure and follow in the footsteps of your Savior. Give your whole life to him, guys. Give your whole life to him. If you haven't been baptized, guys, this is the next step in your spiritual journey with Jesus. And here's the good news today. You don't have to fly to Israel to do it. I just saved you $4,000. <laughs> this spring, you have a sweet opportunity to get baptized at the Jersey Shore <laughs> on Sunday, June 2nd as we host Liquid at the Shore in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. We're going to be baptizing people, not in the Dead Sea, in the Atlantic Ocean, which is very similar. Nothing lives there either, okay? Just... <laughs> if you're new, here's what it is. Liquid at the Shore, it's a very special worship service. We actually have all of our campuses come together uh, under one roof, and, uh, and we worship together. You can go ahead. I'm going to show you a little picture of uh, kind of what baptism was like when we did it three years ago. We walk down to the beach together, you and your flip-flops with a towel, and your campus pastor will meet you in the ocean. And remember what we learned. Baptism symbolizes this ritual cleansing. So when you go in the water, I'm unclean before God, but publicly, I'm being made clean. I'm giving my whole life to him. I'm not converting to Judaism. I'm converting to Christianity. I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. I'm repenting. I'm saying, I want a brand new life. I, I want the touch of Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit in my life, and I want to live for him. I've been born again. I've got a Father in heaven who loves me. So if you have been baptized, I'm going to encourage you to sign up for this. Our pastors will meet you in wetsuits in the Atlantic Ocean. And, and I, I know some of you are like, it's going to be cold. No, no, no. This is June 2nd, okay? This is the first weekend after Memorial Day. Listen, listen. I, I was in the Jordan in January. You can make it in the Jersey Shore in June, okay? <laughs> but I want to challenge you. If you have never been baptized, or maybe you were sprinkled, you know, as a kid, but you didn't really understand it. But as an adult, you're like, I've given my whole life to Christ. This is my faith, not my parents. This is God's will for every follower of Jesus. And your next opportunity is June 2nd, because think about this. 2,000 years since the Dead Sea, 2,000 years since the caves at Qumran, 2,000 years after the Jordan River, God is still changing lives today. Amen? You will be walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So let me encourage you, sign up on the homepage. You'll find it all at our website, liquidchurch.com. And guys, I will meet you in that water, and so will Jesus. Amen? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, listen, before I close, I just, I just feel the Spirit even right now. Do you feel that? I would be a fool right now if I didn't give you a chance to do business with God because I know the Spirit's speaking to some of you. Maybe, maybe you're feeling convicted today. You know there's some things in your life that are out of whack and you need to repent. Or maybe you just feel utterly convinced. I have got to give my whole life to Christ. Listen, God loves you. He sent his one and only Son to personally identify with you on that cross, to pay for your sins and cleanse your heart and change your life. But you have to repent. You've got to ask him. You've got to open your heart and say, Jesus, cleanse my sin and fill me with your spirit. That's how you become a Christian. It is not complex. Becoming a Christian, we like to say, is as simple as A, B, C. A stands for admit the truth about yourself, that you've sinned, that you have missed the mark. But then you be, believe the truth about Jesus, that it was God's son in the flesh and he came and he died for you on that cross and he was raised for your new life. He's your savior. And then see, you commit your whole life to follow him. 
I'm not calling you to more religion. I'm not calling you to attend church. I'm saying commit your whole life to follow Christ. I am your creation. I give my life back to you, God. Whatever you want, cleanse me. Guys, 2,000 years later, that story is still being written, and the Lord Jesus Christ is still calling ordinary women and men, people in the back, to give your whole life to God. And that's what I want to give you a chance to do right now. I want to invite you to pray a prayer of salvation. So would you just bow your head with me? Just bow your head. Lord, I believe right now there are people who under the sound of my voice, and you're speaking to them. That is you, Father, saying that you love them, you forgive them. It is never too late. You can change their whole life in a moment. With all heads bowed, everyone's heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, God's eyes are open. If you know you need to repent in some area of your life, I want you to just put up your hand. Would you raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand saying, I need to repent. That's beautiful, yeah. Dozens of hands up. Just put your hand up high. I'm put, I gotta repent too. I got things in my life. Father, right now we are coming to you and we're opening our hearts and we're throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. If you need to repent right now, I'm going to invite you to just pray after me. Would you just pray these words out loud? Let's, let's just pray these together. Father, thank you for loving me. Father, thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. I open my heart. Jesus, come inside. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you are raised to life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I repent and give my whole life to you. Use me, God. Change me from the inside out. I want to bring glory to you. Father God, I pray right now, these are the deep heart prayers of men and women made in your image. And they're coming home. They're repenting. They're turning to Jesus. Would you mark this moment, Father, fill them with the Holy Spirit in a way that's palpable and unforgettable and change their life forever. We ask that they bring great glory to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. Let's praise God for new believers. Welcome new believers into this church.